Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning, friends. Let me get to some important stuff first. Uh, There is no meet and greet today. So those of you that don't like shake hands, uh, you are free. Introverts rejoice. Uh, You've been waiting for this day, practicing for this day your entire life, and um, it's finally here, so way to go. Uh, Also, let me just say, the Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss, and if you're one of those that puts that into practice, the CDC is asking you to stop right now and cease and desist from all of that activity. Uh, One other just bit of business as we get going, for those of you that typically arrive 15 minutes late, I'm pretty sure I've got a digital timestamp on that now, and so we'll be in touch later if you're still running a little behind, Um, but... Honestly, let me just say, I'm so glad that you're streaming our service. We're honored that you're here with us today, that you're spending to invest this time with us and just gather together for for worship, for praying, for sitting under the teaching of God's word. And uh, we really do value being together. And I know this feels a little bit different to all of us. Uh, One of our just kind of core commitments as a church is to be together, to be in a room, to celebrate. And oftentimes we talk about the church gathered and church scattered. And this is kind of weird because we're gathered and scattered scattered at the same time, and so that can just feel a little disruptive to kind of our norm. Here's what we're hoping, though, that happens for us. We still want to prioritize the church family singing together, praying together, sitting under the teaching of the word together, remembering the Lord through communion together, and all those things that are important to us are still important to us. But for a season, we're going to do those scattered in our own homes, and I really am just praying that this increases our desire and our hunger for being together, and then when we finally get to do that, man, it just brings joy to each and every one of us to be together and to celebrate, and so, man, let's just long for that day together and look forward to that day. Uh, Also just want to remind us of some truth. The thing that unites us is the person uh, that we worship, is the triune God of the universe. And so one of the things I want to do just as we start here today is I want us all to read out loud a couple verses just to proclaim truth from scripture. And these uh, will be on your screen, but just says Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. And if you just, where you are, if you would read out aloud as we proclaim this truth to our city and remember what unites us as one family. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let me pray for us. Lord, teach us from your word now that we may see you more clearly that we may trust you more deeply. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart, that we might be encouraged and enlightened today. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So we're gonna continue our study of the life of David today, and we're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you want to be looking that up, and while you do, I just wanna 
tell you about one of my pet peeves in life, and this is an important one. It's all about trail mix. I don't know. I think there's two types of people in the world, those who like things uh, really in separate categories and those who don't mind things getting all mixed together. Uh, I am in the, the group that would prefer to have them all in separate baggies. I don't need it all mixed together. Uh, trail mix is, is just not a, a wonderful thing in my own experience. And so I, I don't understand why you would take perfectly good pieces of things and just put them together with stuff that isn't that good. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's a marketing ploy for them to offload stuff no one wants. And so uh, in trail mix, you just, there's a reality that there's good stuff and there's bad stuff, but everyone wants the M&Ms. And uh, we all, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're the one that goes in and picks out all the good stuff too so that you get to the end of the package and there's just kind of the gross stuff that's left. Um, well, the bad news for us is that our hearts are a lot like trail mix. Uh, reality is we're all a mixed bag. Uh, we have good stuff in there, but there's also bad stuff in there and it all gets mixed together. And that's what sometimes makes life confusing for us. So today we're gonna be looking at the life of David and we're gonna be talking about just uh, how crisis and stress and disruption in our lives tend to reveal what's in our hearts. And so the, the loves and the values and the commitments that are there get all mixed together with the doubts and the fears and the pressures that we sometimes feel and the dependencies in our heart. And like a tea kettle on a stove, whenever the heat gets turned up, the stuff on the inside always finds its way out. And we see that in our own lives. We also see that in the life of David. It's interesting, one of the things we'll, we'll, that will jump out to us as we look through this, or to me as I studied this week, was that David's just like us. Uh, so often, this guy we, we put on this pedestal is a guy who is, is a man after God's own heart. What we see is he also has a heart that's prone to wander into sin. And so there's this mixed nature of David's heart, just like there is in ours. Now, David's in a tough place as we've walked through this story uh, as it unfolds in 1 Samuel. In the past, what David sees as he looks back is right now he just sees pain. When he looks to his future, what he just sees is questions. Everything seems unsure. And so in the present, what he feels is fear. And so that is what we're going to unpack as we walk through this chapter. Later, David's going to write a psalm about these events, and he actually writes two psalms, Psalm 34 and Psalm 56, about uh, the things that take place in this, in this uh, that we're going to be looking at today here in, psalm, in 1 Samuel 21. But in this psalm, let me just read these, this one verse to you, and just I want you to feel how intense this was to David in the moment. He, he, he records about this time as he looks back. He says, God, you kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? Do you know what he means by tossings? Uh, any of you have a hard time sleeping uh, the last few nights and you toss and turn in your bed and, and you just can't get comfortable and just the uneasiness of your soul works its way into your sleep and just disrupts all of the comfort that you ought to have curled up in the comfort of your own bed. David says, God, you knew about all the times I was tossing and turning and couldn't find comfort and didn't find rest. You knew of all the times I cried and you put all my tears in your bottle. Um, God is very aware of all that, was, all that David was going through, but David was very fearful. And when we experience the disruption in our lives that we can't control, it's unsettling for us just like it was for David. It makes us toss and turn. It sometimes drives us to shed tears. And when you're in a desperate situation long enough, you just start to feel desperate. And if you're in that place and alone, it's just that much more intense. But what we're gonna see in David's life is that even in those desperate moments, David's gonna show us that God does not let go of his people. That even in our desperate moments, God doesn't let go of us. And that's good news for us. So friends, um, do you think this text is timely? 
Do you think this is appropriate for where we are right now? Are, are you tossing and turning at night trying to figure out what God is up to in the midst of a worldwide pa pandemic? Uh, do you wonder um, what God is going to do in our lives and how he's gonna care for us? Well, let's get after this text and see uh, what kind of things kept David up at night and see what we can learn from him. In verse one, uh, 1 Samuel 21, it says, Then David came to Nob, and Ahimelech the priest, and him, and Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one with you? So out of the gate, you start to feel the tension in this text. And Ahimelech says, David, why are you alone? Now, the reason is, uh, and, and, and Ahimelech's actually fearful. You see that he's, he's coming to David trembling. Why is Ahimelech so scared? Well, first off, he probably had heard about the, the disagreement that Saul and David had, and the fact that Saul had been hurling spears at David. And so if you're a priest, you probably don't want to get caught between these two dudes. If spears are going back and forth, that's not a safe place to be. So he's trembling. He also is trembling because David's by himself. Now, David was an important leader in the country, and leaders never travel alone, especially in dangerous times, and yet David has wandered in uh, to his presence completely on his own. Now, I think when uh, th this question, though, why are you alone and no one with you, it, to me, it's a fascinating thing that, that shows up here because I think it's a, it's a literal question. He wants to know, why are you physically alone right now? I think it's also an existential question that, that is being posed to David. Why, why are you on your own? And David was alone, um, but he was, also, he was also lonely. And those aren't the same thing, but David was both, and I think he felt that personally. Now, the reason he was alone was because David, he was being hunted by Saul. And because of this, he'd been separated from his family of origin. He'd been separated from his wife, Michal. He'd been separated from uh, his, his mentor, Samuel. He'd been separated from his army and his career. He, he'd also been separated from his best friend, Jonathan. And so in this kind of isolation, all the people that were important to him, he had been forced to leave behind and he had had to flee. And so David is feeling not just alone, but also lonely. Verse two and three, uh, we see how David responds to that question, why are you alone? David says to Ahimelech the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one, uh, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves or whatever is here. David lies. Um, was, was David truly charged by Saul with any kind of a mission? No, he was actually charged by Saul with a spear, but he wasn't charged with a mission. And so he was fleeing and he was scared and so he lied. And you know how I know that that's what's going on is because uh, we do the same thing. And under stress, our temptation is just to begin to stretch the truth just a little bit, just to, just to maybe color things in our favor just ever so slightly so that people see things the, the way we want to perceive them. When our hearts get overcome with fear, what happens is our minds play trick with us, when, play tricks on us. And when we forget God's steadfast love, we're meant to try to solve problems and control the outcome of situations on our own. And that creates all kinds of problems for us as it does for David. What, we, what happens when we get in that place is we, we fall into old patterns of sin and they kind of come back and take hold of us again. So we see in verse four to six, kind of what happens. David asked for bread here. 
Uh, The priest then says, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. And if the young man have kept themselves, and if the young man have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go on expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, and there was, for there was no bread but the bread of the presence which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot day on the day, hot bread on the day it was taken. So here you have this kind of a strange scenario and really what's going on here is he is David is on an adventure and asked for bread which that's another sign to Ahimelech that something's wrong right how many guys take off on a journey and don't think about food in that day it's not like they're going to swing through a drive through on the way he normally would have packed something but he clearly left unprepared and in haste and so here he asked for some bread and uh, this priest says well we don't we don't have any David but I do have the the temple bread the the formal bread the bread that is uh, that is to represent the presence of God at the tent of meeting where God's people would gather and, and they would meet with him and bread was a symbol of a shared meal and a relationship and a communion and connection and care and so there they, there where the priests would be they always would have bread ready as kind of symbolic saying God loves us enough to sit and meet with us and to share in his presence with us. And so that, but that bread was only to be eaten by the priests. And so it was set apart for a holy purpose, set apart for them. So in this scenario, what happens is uh, the priest actually bends the rules just a little bit and says, David, in order to care for you, I will take the holy bread and I will give it to you for your daily bread and allow you to, to eat that in order to provide for you. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus actually references this same event in his teaching in the Gospels. When you get to to Matthew 12, Jesus actually is explaining why he himself gets to bend the rules at times and why he does what he does. And in Matthew 12, three to four, it says, that Jesus said to uh, people when he was charged, he says, have you not read about David when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. And yet, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would, have not, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Now, what's Jesus saying? He's saying the heart of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as yourself. And so the desire for that was really love. It was mercy. It wasn't just religiosity. And so Jesus says that the priest actually did the right thing and was not guilty of any, of any sin or wrongdoing because what he did was practicing generosity and hospitality and mercy to David. And so this was something that uh, that Jesus himself actually endorsed and said this, he did the right thing. It would have been worse for him to send David away hungry and not care for him than it was for him to simply provide for his, his needs. Now, let me just take a side note here because we're doing something a little bit like that even as a church right now. Uh, it's kind of a strange day for us doing church online scattered in homes when in the New Testament, there's clear scripture that says that we are not to forsake the meeting together of the church. And so we're meant to gather together to all come together to worship, and yet we're foregoing that first season in order to meet online. And I think that's a similar practice for us. And so for us, what we understand is we're, we're, not, we're not doing anything wrong. We're actually, we're actually fulfilling the law by ensuring that we're able to gather, that we're able to sit under the word, that we're able to, to pray together, to be together, even though we can't be in one room. 
But friends, we want to fight to keep the heart of our gatherings uh, as, as much as possible. We don't want to lose the heart of why we meet and what it is that we're doing. And so uh, I think that this is a timely thing for us to, to consider. But as we, uh, let's press on and get, get back into David's story as we think about kind of how this works out for him. In verse seven, uh, we see one reason why David might have felt the pressure. Um, really to, to lie and to bend the truth here. In verse seven, it says, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. His name was Doug the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Uh, who was it that was hunting David down? It was Saul. Well, here's one of Saul's employees and not just any employee, but a guy named Doug. And so this is probably a tough dude. Uh, he also is an Edomite. Edomites uh, were Israel's enemies. And so here you have an, Isra- an enemy of Israel who worked for Saul. And David later in, in chapter 22 is gonna say, I knew on that day when Doug the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul about where I was. And so David says later, when looking back, he says, I knew immediately when I saw him, I was in trouble. And so David, in his fear, begins to act out again. Now, what's the very next thing? It's telling in verse eight, the very next thing David does after uh, the text recognizes that Doug the Edomite is there, is David asks for for a weapon, uh, which tells you something about where he is. I mean, he looks, sees Doug and looks at the priest and says, hey, are you carrying? Like, do you have a piece I could borrow? I need a little, I need a little bit of protection here. Verse eight, David said to Ahimelech, then have you not a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. And if you take it, take the, if you, if you will take it, take it. For there is none like it that is here. And David says, there's none, there's no, no weapon like it, then give it to me. And so it's interesting that David uh, immediately says uh, in this moment of fear, you know, give me a sword, give me something to protect myself with. Uh, David, uh, you may remember earlier in the battle with Goliath in that scenario, uh, Saul had actually tried to force his, his weapons on David. He'd given him his armor, tried to give him his sword, tried to give him all those things. And David finally said, look, my, my hope is in the Lord, not in all these things. And so he went to battle with Goliath just with a simple, a simple sling and some stones. But here, David's, David's heart's in a different place. His confidence is no longer in God's protection, but is really on himself. And so he's left to man's devices and he takes up the sword of Goliath in order to protect himself. Now it's interesting because he's acting more out of fear than out of faith here. And he's heading in the wrong direction. But it, really through this whole passage, he looks like a fool, doesn't he? This man who was a leader of thousands and uh, a man who had conquered many is now on a journey by himself on an adventure. He forgot to bring food. He forgot to bring weapons. He has no protection. He doesn't know where he's going. He's in a bit of trouble. One guy said, this is like a plumber showing up to work at your house and asking for your tools. Or an insurance salesman coming by to close the deal and asking if you have the forms that need to be signed. He's clearly not thinking well. And honestly, things are about to get worse. Let's look at uh, verses 10 to 15. David rose and fled that day from, <clears throat> from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is, this not, is not this David, the king of the land? Did not they sing to one another about him and dance? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and he pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. 
Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow be brought into my house? So what does David do? David goes to Gath. Gath, you may remember, is the the hometown of none other than Goliath. This is Philistine territory. This is enemy territory. This tells us how desperate David felt. If you're running to the Philistines and you're an Israelite and you're running to the Philistines for sanctuary and for security, you're in pretty bad shape. Uh, The problem is David's too well known to kind of wander the city incognito. They instantly recognize him and go, man, isn't this the guy that they all sing and dance about that he's killed 10,000s? And also many of the ones, many of those 10,000s that they sang about were from this region, the ones that he had killed. So probably they're looking at him and going, hey, you're the dude that killed my uncle. You're the one that took my brother. Uh, You're you're the one that that killed my neighbor. They, They recognize this. And Gath probably had, you know, when you come into a city, oftentimes in a city, whoever the most famous person in that city is, there's a welcome sign that says, you know, home of this person. Gath probably had a sign at the city limits that said, home of Goliath, champion of the Philistine army, giant, war hero, slayer of men. And David walks into their city carrying the sword of Goliath that he used to chop off the head of Goliath just a little while before this. You may also remember that David, in order to marry Saul's daughter, Michal, had, had actually been sent out and told to kill 200 men and bring back their foreskins. I'm just going to guess that the guy who brought 200 foreskins back to Israel from Philistia is not going to be very welcome in this place. And so, and you just feel the tension of all this happening. And pretty quickly, what you see is David says, he hears the things they're saying. He took it to heart and he became afraid. And it's crazy that David fled to Gath, but why, why would he? Well, it's because David panicked. Now, we do the same thing. When, when life is disrupted in a way that we can't control, oftentimes we panic. Uh, have you ever been driving on the road and you see a squirrel that runs out on the road and all of a sudden it realizes it's in trouble and what's it do? It panics and does this until you go thump, thump, right? And you get these suicidal squirrels that end their lives because they freak out and run back into danger's way. Uh, people, we do the same thing. A proverb says, there's a way that appears right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Um, we do the exact same thing that David's doing. We run into harm's way, even when we're trying to protect ourselves. It's interesting to me when you think about the ways in which we do this, though, um, because I, we do do it all the time. We, we, we do these things regularly. A man who can tell you his testimony and quote Bible stories, but he finds himself just feeling the financial pressure and stress of his job. And, and all of a sudden, he, he's spending work trips just out partying with the guys in a way that he never thought he would and finds himself in a, in a bad place. A lady who, who's been in women's Bible studies for, year, for years, but she just begins to, to struggle and go through some difficulties in her own life. And all of a sudden she finds herself in a relationship with an old flame online, just seeking comfort. Think of high school students that we know uh, that, that, that have been involved in youth group for years, but they go off to college. And when they go off to college, they start to feel the loneliness of that place and just wanting to fit in. And all of a sudden they find themselves a part of groups or relationships that they never thought they would be a part of years before. And we all do these things. And when we, when we allow the fear and stress and pressure to drive our lives, we find ourselves in places we should not be doing things we should not do. 
And the reason is because we have a mixed heart. Because we've got things in our heart that propel us in different directions. And whenever we find ourselves in these situations, I mean, we, we have to make choices. And we, sometimes we make the wrong choice, even as David did. And this is what happens when we walk in fear and self-pity. So David finds himself in a trap, really, of his own making. In fact, in verse 13, it says that David finds himself in their hands, meaning he's been taken captive. And so he's, he's been, uh, been arrested by these guys. Now, think about David for a minute and all that we've learned about David at this point. You, knowing David, knowing that this is the man after God's own heart, that this is the giant slayer, that this is the, the leader of, of the armies of Israel, what do you think he does? You think David stops to pray? Do you think that David uh, attacks and fights his way out of this crowd? Nope, David acts like a lunatic. Uh, David acts like a madman. And so it says that he goes to the city gates and just starts spraying graffiti on, on the city gates and causing all kinds of issues there. And he's got drool running down his lip. You wonder if he's like, you know, scratching and like sniffing the ground. And you don't know what he's doing, but he, obviously they just say, look, he's a crazy man. Uh, think about what, uh, kind of what this would look like. And um, this is shameful. This is shameful behavior. Friends, this is shameful to the God who anointed them. This is shameful to himself. This is shameful to his nation, God's people that he represents. Uh, this is an embarrassing kind of action, but I think it's also a commentary on his own state of mind. See, his actions have been crazy, but now his appearance looks like his actions and mirrors kind of what's going on on the inside. And you notice the king's response? And I love this. He just goes, dude, do I not have enough crazy around here? And just being honest, like, I don't know any leader that doesn't say that regularly. Like, is there not enough crazy already? Uh, I say this to my kids every time they want to bring another pet home. Like, guys, there's enough crazy in this house. We don't need to bring any more in. And that's kind of what the, what the king is saying here about David. And what's happening is David's getting disciplined. That God's allowing him to be exposed. And God is watching over David and all the time. And so God's allowing him to kind of outrun his coverage. He's, he's kind of out, outrunning his coverage and getting himself, or outpunning his coverage and getting himself in a little bit of danger. And he's been taken captive. And yet in the midst of this, look with me what happens in the very next verse, at verse one of chapter 22. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. That in the midst of David's trapping himself and putting himself in harm's way, he's able to just walk out. He walks out freely because God has protected him. And he goes to a place called the cave of Adullam. Adullam means refuge. That even in David's own, David's own sinfulness and David's own brokenness, he find, God, God allows him to escape and move to a place of refuge, even when he didn't deserve it. So friends, as we think about this text and we see kind of this unraveling of this man, David, what, what can we learn from this? Well, first off, let me just say this. I hope none of you are walking around carrying a dead giant sword and drooling uh, with drool dripping down your face. Uh, if you find yourself in that kind of a boat, I just encourage you to call Chris Clark. He would love to meet with you. His email is chris.clark at redemptionokc.com. Uh, you just reach out to Chris if, if that's your scenario and uh, he would love to help you in that. But for most of us, our circumstances may not look just like David's, but the reality is we still have mixed hearts like David's and we get ourselves sometimes in places where we're filled with doubt, fear, and worry and put ourselves in, in harm's way as well. And just like David, our fear and our self-pity open us up to sin. And uh, fear says to us, and I must do something to try to control the circumstances I'm in. 
Self-pity, on the other hand, says, I deserve some break or escape after all I've been through. And when we put ourselves into the, this conversation of fear and self-pity, uh, we put ourselves into, into danger spiritually. And what we see with David is, I think David didn't push these things away or take them to the Lord, but he actually kind of nurtured and coddled his fear. He kind of kept it close and said, I'm going to hold on to my fear when he really needed to take it to the Lord and lay it down. And what happened in David's life was that he sinned and these sins have real consequences. He lied to his friend, the priest. He exposed him to great danger. He looked like a fool and disgraced his people and his God. And yet for us, oftentimes our sin has consequences as well. In the remedy though, where do we go with this? What do we do with it? The remedy for, for, for self-pity and for fear is to run to God's grace. In reality, disruption of our lives and the, the feeling of being out of control can push us in one of two directions. It can cause us to run away from the Lord or it can cause us to run to the Lord. And that's the decision and really what's at stake here. But it's so easy for us to get stuck in the question, why is this happening to me? But I think maybe David should have asked a different question, which is, what does the Lord seem to be doing here? Think back to the chapter we've just read. If you think through the, the whole chapter, God provides for David, God sustains David, God protects David, God delivers David. God is working behind the scenes through the whole thing. And even though David continually gets himself in trouble, God is continually pulling David out of trouble. So even in his, his fears, his lies, his cover up, his deception, God still gives grace to David. Friends, this is the, the message of Christianity, is that there's grace for us even when we blow it. That even when we fail in, the, in a time of crisis, that God's grace is still there for us. Let me ask you this, what if, what if God only gave us bread when we deserved it? What if God only cared for us when we performed well? What if God only protected us when we were so full of faith from head to toe uh, that, that it was just overflowing out of us? Well, the reality is we would all go hungry and, and we would all stay in danger all the time. But that's not Christianity. Christianity says that God takes care of me because, uh, not because I'm godly, but because he is gracious. In the end, this is what's gonna convince David of God's love and his grace towards him. Looking back, David's gonna see this right, rightly. I mentioned earlier that there's two Psalms that David wrote kind of coming out of this as he looked back in hindsight at the kind of the experiences he went through. That's Psalm 34 and Psalm 56. And as we think about these Psalms, I wanna just mention a little bit to you from there, a couple of verses out of here, because I think that this will be super encouraging for us. When you think about the hard times you're in, so often it's, it's, hard, to, uh, it's hard to kind of step back and look down on the situation you're in, but when you get past them, you look back and you see how God's worked all along. One of the things that my wife and I practices we've tried to implement is we've got a notebook where we keep lists of prayer requests and ways God's answered prayers and things that he's done in the past. And one of the most comforting things for us has been years later looking back at things that were tough times we went through in the past and thinking, man, that seemed like a mountain that we could never get over uh, when we were in it. But now looking back, it, it seems like such a simple, way, simple thing that God carried us through and gives us a different perspective. David does something similar and even in deep trouble, David knows where his help comes from. He doesn't say, man, I'm just a lucky guy or fate's on my side. He says, God is for me. And this is important for us. Grace helps us as Christians see the events of our lives differently than others do. 
we know at all times that God is working together for, to bring about our good. And so in Psalm 34, 4, it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So David, who was so fearful, looks back and says, man, the Lord delivered me from all my fears. That gives us comfort and courage when things feel uncertain. Uh, a couple of verses later in 34, 22, David writes, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Man, is that good, good news for us? No one who seeks refuge in Christ will be rejected or condemned, but he redeems the life of his servants. See, what we see in David's story is that the Lord not only protected David from Saul and from the king of Gath, he protected David from himself. He protected David from his own sin. And this is what we Christians mean when we talk about grace. Friends, never forget that God gives grace to you even when you play the fool. It's God's grace that drives out fear and drives out our worry. In the other Psalm that David wrote after this, Psalm 56, you see a little more of the tension that David experienced in this time. He said, when, when I was afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Friends, I think this raises a good question for us. Where's your trust? Where do you run in times of fear? Where do you, where do you take your, your fear? He says, when I was afraid, I put my trust in you. He didn't, he didn't coddle his fear, but he said, I, I had to take my fear and I had to transfer it and put my trust in you. Friends, you will be afraid sometimes, but you can put your trust in God. Even in those moments, you can trust his word. He says, I put my trust in the Lord whose word I praise because God's word is true and trustworthy. He says, in God I trust. Means you can rely on his goodness. He's saying that we can count on the Lord always. And this is how you know, friends, that you can fail in a crisis and still come out ahead. It's called grace. And it's the heart of, it's the heart of our faith. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, in the person of Jesus, God has given us grace forevermore. And we can count on it, we can depend on it, we can rest in it, we can run to the throne of grace whenever we have need. And I know in this season, in this, in this time that we find ourselves in, um, we have great needs. So let's, let's run to him and, and trust him. Let me pray for us. Father, we just ask for your grace. We ask for your mercy, Father, in, in all of our fears and all of our pressures, pressures and stresses and anxieties, Father, for the worries and the things, the disruptions to our lives that we're experiencing right now and all of that that feels out of control. Father, would you just speak, would you just speak rest and refuge to us by your grace? Would you let us know that we can run to you when we are afraid? that we can put our trust in you, that we can count on the truth of your word, that we can count on your goodness, that there's nothing that in our flesh can separate us from you. And Father, um, convince us of that deep down in every area of our hearts. And Lord, where we doubt you, uh, would you do work there to bring about real faith? Father, we pray it in Christ's name, amen.